Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, in the midst of the storm. Lord, we can raise a hallelujah. We can praise you for who you are, for what you've done, Lord, for who you are. Lord, your faithfulness. Lord, that you defeated death. You defeated Satan. Lord, we thank you for that. Thank you for all that you've done for us, Lord. Lord, we just pray you to help us keep our eyes on you. Lord, help us keep our eyes on you. And to know that you're there. That you always take care of us. Lord, we just thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to share today about knowing your enemy. And, and it's about knowing. And, and I just want to say this. Next week, I'm going to share about how to, how to, <laughs> um, how to react when the enemy attacks. You know, it's, it's, you know, today we're going to talk about knowing our enemy. It's one thing to know him, but it's like, well, then what do we do? What do we need to do and what do we need to know when he attacks? And, and so uh, today we're going we're gonna to take a look at just knowing our enemy. Um, we have an enemy. I believe we have an enemy and Satan is the enemy. The Bible says we fight not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers and forces of evil around us. And so, you know, Satan is an enemy. It's interesting to me, you know, the Bible talks about Satan is defeated. Well, he is defeated. You know, Jesus defeated him on the cross. But he's still, as long as, till Jesus comes back, he still is the one who is at work in our world around us. And so now, when Jesus died, he gave us authority. Us authority because of what he did, that we have authority over Satan. So I just want to say that, you know, we're going to talk about Satan and all of his power and all. And if you don't come next week, I just want you to know that he is defeated. So... You know, um, and by the same token, has a lot of power, if that makes any sense. Um, but, you know, the Bible says some things about him in, in John eight forty four. In John eight forty four, it says, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Well, first of all, Satan's a liar. Okay? He's a liar. Now, liars have an advantage. I don't know if you've ever known that. Liars, if you tell the truth and you come up against a liar, the liar has a little advantage because he has no boundaries. He can say whatever he wants and he just keeps telling one lie after another. But if you're bound by the truth, you're stuck with the truth. Now, eventually, eventually, it'll come out, maybe. You know, but God knows a lot of things. And, you know, if we're talking about situations, you know, God knows and he'll, he'll take care of things. But I just want you to know that Satan as a liar has, that's a big advantage. That's a big advantage. Because, you know, you can tell people anything you want. And people sometimes are gullible. Or as we talked in Sunday school this morning, people want to hear what they want to hear. So, you know, if a liar comes along and tells them a lie, they'll go, sounds good to me. You know? Oh, that sounds good. You know, you tell people the truth and they'll go, oh, I don't, I don't know if I want to do that. You know? But if you tell them a lie, a lot of times that's a big advantage. So, so Satan, but he is a liar. He doesn't stand for truth. He's a liar. And he's going to tell you all kinds of lies. He's going to lie to you about all kinds of things. And also in 1 Peter 
1 Peter 5.8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Okay, this enemy, Satan, goes about like a roaring lion, looking for whom he may devour. Now, I, whenever I see that scripture, I get a picture of kind of just being in some place in Africa, and there's lions just going around you, and they're just roaring. Maybe in the distance, you know, you can hear them in the distance roaring. But why do they do that? You know, well, partially because that's what they do. They roar. But also, you know, in this case, I believe a roaring lion puts fear in us. You know, you can hear them roar. You know, you can hear them roar. They just they just kind of walk around looking for somebody to take advantage of, looking for somebody to to eat, looking for somebody to devour. So Satan is a liar. And he walks around looking for people to devour. Now, the premise of what I'm saying today is that, first of all, you got to believe there's an enemy. Now, one of the big deceptions that I think Satan has is that he doesn't exist. No, that's just a figment of people's imagination. Eh, you know, people just make, they just think silly stuff like that. You know, he doesn't really he doesn't really exist. And I think that's one of his lies. That's one of his lies. But a lot of people believe that. I just, I just um, saw on Facebook, uh, somebody posted something that said, um, they don't believe in evil because, you know, they just think that people aren't good enough and don't love enough. That's the problem. It's not that there's evil. You know, it's not that there's an enemy. It's not that there's not a devil. It's just that people are just don't love enough. If we all loved each other more, then it would all just go away. That was an interesting concept. What an interesting deception. You know, that there, there is no, there's no enemy out there. There's no Satan, you know. And, and I think a lot of people, actually, I think a lot of people believe that. The reason I say that is when's the last time you heard Satan getting credit for anything? Now he's he's at work all the time doing all kinds of stuff. I mean, he's devouring people, you know, doing all kinds of things in our world. When's the last time he gets any credit? When bad things happen, who who gets blamed a lot of times? God gets blamed. God gets blamed. Why didn't God do this? Why did God let this happen? Why didn't God? I very seldom hear somebody say, wow, look what the devil just did. You know? It's a deception, I think, personally. I think it's a deception. So Satan's at work. He's at work all the time, all the time, whether we know it or not. And I believe one of his big battlegrounds is in our mind for the Christian. His big battlegrounds is our mind, look, looking for ways to deceive us and destroy us. You know, he wants to neutralize our witness. If he can't completely destroy you, he will at least neutralize your effect so that you don't do anything for God. You don't serve. You don't witness. You don't do anything. You just, he neutralizes all that. Sometimes he wants to destroy us. You know, he wants to keep us from serving, keep us from doing God's plan for our lives. How does he do this? I want to look at some of his tactics. One of the ways is he directs our attention towards a, 
a want or a desire. Get your attention off of what you're supposed to be doing onto something you think you have to have. What happened to Eve in the garden? Eve had a whole, Adam and Eve had a whole garden. I mean, stuff grew. I mean, I mean, can you imagine? I, I, I went and picked apples to send to Kentucky this weekend. And, it was, you know, it was kind of neat because, you know, um, the orchard donated the apples. And so if you pick them, you can have them. So I went out and I didn't. I had to bend over to get some of them. The limbs were so heavy. I, you know, I'm just going, man. Look at all these apples. They were just all over. The, you know, I didn't have to hardly reach for them, and I was just picking apples. All I wanted. Well, the Garden of Eden was just full of everything. Yeah, they didn't have to work. They just, you know, had to at least pick it. But you know, they didn't have to work. All that that they had, and what what did they get tempted? Over one tree. One tree. You know, they all of a sudden say, hey, you know, you need that tree over there. That tree is going to give you knowledge. You're going to be just like God. You need that tree. You got to have it. How many times does Satan tell us, we have to have it? We have to have it. You need that. I want that. I deserve that. Be careful with I deserve. Because, you know, you know, if... If you're really honest about deserving, you don't want what we deserve, okay? So for us to think I deserve something is, is a very dangerous place because we don't want what we deserve. But, you know, but they had everything, but still they wanted more, that desire. I have to have. Because a lot of times what I have to have is going to please my flesh, please me, make me feel good, make me feel good. I don't know that God's against us not feeling good but i don't know that that's really high on his priority list i'm not sure i think serving him to some extent makes us feel good but i don't think god just sits in heaven going boy i want to make ron feel really good today i don't know that he feels that i think he wants to say i want him to serve me i want him to do my will i want him to do the things i ask him to do but you know, I don't know that I have to make him feel good. I think feel good comes from me. You know, I want things that make me feel good. You know, I want things that make me happy. I think that's more me. So we got to be careful because I think Satan will try to get us into an area where we're always worried about how it's going to make me feel. Number two, Satan will tempt us at our weakest moment. He will tempt us at our weakest moment. Jesus, when he had fasted for 40 days, went into the wilderness. And in Matthew 4, starting at verse 1, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. When he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered and said, it is, is it not written, Man shall not live by bread alone? but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I don't know. You know, Jesus was God, but he was also man. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights. I can't imagine. I, I have no comprehension of fasting 40 days and 40 nights. You know, you know, Mary will say, if Ron misses a meal, he's hungry. And that's probably true. So there you go, 40 days, 40 nights. You know, I'm sure Jesus was in a position of being hungry. 
I'm sure he was hungry. I'm sure it's a weak moment. 40 days and 40 nights, you're, you're going to be weak physically, mentally. You know, you're in a weak moment. Satan knew that. And what did he do? He said, why don't you command these stones to become bread so you can have something to eat to take care of that, to take care of that weak moment. So he comes with what we need, and he says, here, try this, do this. And I think there's a lot of times when he'll come to us in our weaker moments. Maybe when we're struggling with something or, or maybe lost a loved one could be a weak moment. Um, lose a job, you know, things that happen in life. And at those weak moments, Satan will come and he'll tell you things like, you're not going to make it. How are you going to do this? What makes you think you can whatever? He'll come in those weak moments because that's when he thinks we're the most vulnerable. I also have a theory. Now, this isn't scriptural. This is more me, okay? I think he'll also come at your strongest moments. And here's the reason. And, and there, I can probably dream up a script. Now, I can come up with a scriptural back this, but in your strongest moments, you think you can do anything. And you think it's because of you. So you kind of got a lot, you can get a lot of pride about, well, look what I just did. Well, I'm pretty good. I'm, I, I can tackle the world. And that's a very bad moment. Because in our strength of that moment, we think that we can do it. And our pride can get in the way. And the Bible says pride comes before the fall. So I think in our strongest moments, we're also vulnerable to do the wrong thing and to be tempted. Because we can start to trust ourselves And to think, well, look what I did. Instead of, look what the Lord has done through me. So I think also, you know, those moments when, when we're weak, we can be vulnerable. And I think we need to be careful that in those moments of strength and success, we can also be vulnerable. And we need to just keep our eyes on the Lord in the midst of those. In the midst of the storm. In the midst of the hard times. And in the midst of my weaker moments. What do I do? Do I just give in and despair and say, oh, this is awful. Yep, you're right. It's going to fail. I'm doomed. It's never going to work. Or do I roar louder and louder? You know, louder and louder. Do I say who God is and what he's going to do and what he's done? You know, that's what you roar. You don't roar because look at me. I'm big and strong. You roar louder and louder his praises for who he is. That's what we roar. That's what we roar. If you roar about yourself, you're set up for a fall. I believe the devil likes to create doubt in our mind about God's word. About God's word. In Genesis, the third chapter. Genesis, the third chapter, the 13th verse. The Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And then in Genesis 3, 2 to 5. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you should not eat it, nor should you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you won't die, for God knows that in the day you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You know, he twists the word of God. He gets you to doubt the word of God. He gets you to, to not believe the word of God. Don't believe what God said. Isn't this, isn't this truth? 
What about this? What about this? You ought to, you ought to do this. We've got to be really careful. Can we really believe God's word? Can we really believe what he said? Can we believe his word is true? Let God be true and every man a liar. Can I believe God's word? And Satan would come out, no, you can't. You, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. You know, Sherry did that one time. You know, one of my memories of Sherry. We had gone to, a, I believe we had gone to a meeting. I know we were in a car leaving Bowling Green, going east on Bowling Green Road. I know right where we were. And Sherry said, and Sherry was diabetic. And Sherry said, oh, by the way, I quit my insulin. I said, really? I said, when? Oh, a couple weeks ago. And she did. She cold turkey quit taking her insulin. And, and you know, it's a, it's a whole long story, but bottom line, she didn't take it for quite a while. And then eventually she started taking it again. That's a whole other story. But, but, you know, she believed God's word. Now, I'm not, if there's somebody here diabetic, I did not tell you to quit taking your insulin. Okay? You better make sure you hear God say that. That's all I'm telling you. I didn't tell you that. You know, but Sherry, she believed it. She believed God. She, and I went, you know, and my first reaction is, oh, really? Only other time I had somebody do that was my dad. My dad, after his heart attack, one Christmas announced that he was going to quit taking his heart medicine. <laughs> oh, really? I said, uh, why don't you ask your doctor? You know, trying to think, you know, why don't you check with the doctor? Check with your doctor. So he did. His doctor said, yeah, it's okay. His doctor said, no problem. Just, yeah, you're, you'll be all right. <laughs> I'm like, wow. You know, I say all that to say, you know, we need to believe God's word, not, not just the things you hear. I'm not trying, to, not trying to make this some silly thing. But, you know, when God speaks certain things, you can believe it if it agrees with his word. You know, and we need to believe his word, whatever it says. When we read God's word, we need to believe what it says because Satan will try to twist it. He'll try to twist it and get us to where we don't believe it. It's not really real. It's not real for today. That's for when people a long time ago, you know, it's not, it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't work today. You know, we're a lot smarter than they were. You know, we're a lot, we're a lot more intelligent. We have more things at our disposal to fix things. So you don't, you don't have to believe all that. You know, that's, that's a lot of deception there. Another thing is one of Satan's tactics is he wants to debate us. He wants to debate us. Um, I think there's a lot of things in the Bible that are true and aren't up for debate. Probably the whole thing, but, but you know, um, I find that when people want to debate, I, I find no cause to debate people. I, I don't know if there's, there's a time when you can share and maybe have some, you know, giving and taking and listening to each other, but to debate somebody, it's like, where are we going with this? And especially to debate people that don't believe God's word is true. Now, here's what, I, here's what I personally feel. If I'm a Christian, I believe God's word is true, 
and I come across somebody that doesn't think God's word is true, where's the debate going to go? Because bottom line, they don't think it's true. So anything I say is based on something they don't believe. I, I, see, no, I see no real purpose in that. Now, if somebody's questioning and wants to know, I can talk to them. If they got questions, honest questions, say, well, I don't understand this. I, that's okay. You can have a discussion. But to get into some big debate, you know, and I think even like sometimes on the Internet and all those places, I, I'd be very cautious about debating with people about what you believe. You can share what you believe, but I think to me, it's, there's no debate to it. Why, why would I want to debate? I really, this is what I believe. You know, it's, it's sort of like your kids when you know certain things you tell your kids, you don't do that. And they go, well, why not? Well, it's not up for debate. You know, it's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. This is how it is. It's not a debate issue, you know. And so I think there's a lot of times that Satan, he wants to get in a debate because debate gives opportunity to lose. You know, gives you opportunity to lose. Why debate? Jesus never debated with the, with the devil. He didn't sit and go, well, now that's a good point. You know, well, that, yeah, I see that. No, he just said, it is written. It is, here's what the Bible says. You know, here's what my father said. This is not something I'm going to sit here and debate with you about. This is what the truth is. End of story. And sometimes that's just the way it is, folks. Just the truth. End of story. It's not a debate. It's not a debate. You know, nowadays everybody thinks they can debate because they have a right to debate. And all that. And, you know, it's just mostly rebellion. Okay. Satan wants to destroy our witness. He wants to destroy our witness and our service to God and others. John 10.10 10 says Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. We have an enemy. His goal is to kill, steal, and destroy. What's he, he wants to kill us. He wants to stop us, stop our witness, stop our service. He wants to put an end to it. Anyway. He, he will settle for neutralizing you. If he can't completely stop you, if he at least gets you to where you won't do it, he's okay with that. You know, because sometimes it's just like, well, if I scare them enough, they won't be doing that. And we go, okay, I won't do that because I'm afraid. But he wants to kill. He wants to steal. He wants to steal. He wants to steal our possessions. I think, he was, I think he wants to steal God's blessings. He wants to steal our joy. You know, he wants to steal the stuff that makes us who we are. He wants to steal all that so that we're miserable enough we have nothing to give. We have nothing to give. We don't want to serve. And he wants to do that through things like discouragement. That's a big tool. Discourage us. You know, discourage it. Well, that won't work. What makes you think that? You know, if Sherry would have come to me and said, hey, I got these kids and, you know, my van's full. And I'd say, well, that's good. You know, just keep up the good work. And she says, no, I think we need a van. I go, no, no, no. And discourage her. That would be the devil. You know, discourage her. But no, I said, well, then let's get a van. Let's just let's get a van. 
Well, the van's not big enough. Well, let's get a bus. You know? And so, you know, it's it's we we can't let him discourage us. Or we don't want to be a discouragement to others. To others. You know, that we encourage one another. We encourage we're encouragers in the things that God wants us to do. Another tactic to get us to kill, steal, and destroy is to put fear in us. Fear in us. If he can make us afraid to do what God's called us to do, he's neutralized us completely. One of the biggest things I believe that God has called us to do is go, make disciples, witness, share. Go. I believe Satan has almost neutralized the body of Christ to zero. I believe we're, it's not zero, but we're very neutralized. Because the body of Christ is afraid to go talk to people about Christ. We're afraid. We're afraid what they might think. We're afraid what they might say. We're afraid how they might react. We're afraid, and so we don't do it. We don't do it. I believe that's one of the biggest things that's happened to the body of Christ. One of the things that's happened over the years was the church didn't really have to think about witnessing much. And I shouldn't, you know, this is a generalization, okay? There are people in churches that witness, don't get me wrong. So I'm not, this is, but in general, in general, it was that people just always came to church. I mean, when I grew up, you didn't think about witnessing. People just went to church. You know, now not everybody went to church. Don't get me wrong. And should you have been witness? Yeah. But, you know, the mindset was we witnessed. So how did the church witness? How did we evangelize? My background was, well, you hired missionaries and you sent them places. You sent them all over the world and they went and did your work for you. Because we didn't need to do much here because everybody went to church. So we just send them around the world and they go witness. And so witnessing wasn't, a, you know, wasn't a big deal. Well, right now, I think it's a big deal. Because what's happened is because of all that, now there's less Christians. More people don't go to church than go to church. And there's less Christians. We need to be witnessing. And we just having trouble switching gears and going, oh, we need to witness. What's happening is you're going to find more foreign people coming here to witness to us. You know, because now they see us as a mission field. You know, they go, well, we better go over there to America. There's a lot of unbelievers over there. All that said, God's people, we need to be willing to share. And Satan says, no, don't do that. Or you can't do that. Who do you think you are? They're going to ask you a really hard question, and then you're not going to know the answer. You know, well, you know, share your testimony. Share who God is to you. It's hard to argue with a the testimony. They can just say you're stupid, and then that ends the discussion. But, you know, it's hard to argue with, well, this is what God did for me. You know, so I believe as Christians, we need to see that one of his tactics is to discourage us and put fear in us. And it really happens in the area of sharing. Now, it can happen in other areas, too, of your life. You know, fear of failure. Fear that I'm going to turn out like my parents. You know, people have that fear. Fear I'm going to turn out like my parents. You know what the cure for that is? Being redeemed. Redeemed. 
I'm not saying I'm not saying I don't want to be like my parents. I'm just saying you can be redeemed from that. Not be afraid of it. Okay? God wants to redeem. He wants to redeem us, restore us, put us back to where it should be. You know? So there's a lot of things we can be fearful of. Fearful of failure. I can't do that. I can't do that. Discouragement. Well, look at me. I'm a failure. Those are Satan's tactics. You'll never become what God wants you to be if if you get stuck on what you've been or what you've done. God wants to redeem us and set us free so that we can become what he wants us to be. Those are some of his tactics. Next week, I want to look more at how do we deal with an attack when, when Satan comes? What, what are some things we can do? So let's all stand. By the way, we don't have to pick up chairs today. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your presence with us. Lord, we, we, we see the tactics of the enemy, but Lord, we know that even though we know his tactics, that he is defeated. But Lord, he's defeated based upon our word and what our word says about what you say. Your word is final. Your word is true. So, Lord, let our statements be true in what you say. Lord, help us to be sensitive to times when we can see the enemy's hand trying to get a hold in our lives. And, Lord, we can resist that and and stand against those things. Lord, we thank you for your blessing. Thank you for being with us, Lord. We just look to you and trust you. Lord, just be with us throughout this week. Lord, I pray if anyone has a need for prayer, Lord, if they they think, wow, I need somebody to pray with me about that, that they would come up and let the prayer team pray with them when we dismiss. Lord, we just thank you for being with us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. amen.